0: Yo, Whoa. yo, yo, huh. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Shivani. we bout to party, we bout to party, unrestricted.
1: Welcome everybody to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of all elite wrestling. Referee Aubrey Edwards here with my best friend, commentator legend, and wonderful all-around person, Tony Schiavone. How you doing, Tony?
0: Hey, Aubrey. I know why you're in a good mood. You are broadcasting uh, today from beautiful Miami, Florida.
1: Ah, oh, I love Miami. This is the best.
0: It is one of the great cities <laughs> in the world. People don't get it. I want to move to. I want to move to Miami.
1: Yeah,
0: I really do. Just me and the dog.
1: I told my husband that, like, if we were forced to move to Florida, anywhere in Florida, Miami would be where it's at. No offense to Jacksonville. I know that Jacksonville has a close place in our hearts for the Ollie wrestling crew, but Miami's, there's so much good food here.
0: A lot great going on in Miami. A lot great going on in AEW, right?
1: Hell yeah. What do we got going on, Tony?
0: Well, let's see. We have two shows on weekly, and that's on TNT. We got a pay-per-view coming up. We got a couple of shows on YouTube. Don't forget being the elite, and don't forgetting Road Two. And we got a great guest today.
1: We do. We have a phenomenal guest who's been blown up the indies and now blowing up AEW. Mr. Main Event on Rampage, the Red Death, Daniel Garcia. How you doing, buddy?
2: What's up, guys? I'm doing good. I- I'm glad that somebody appreciates my uh, love for Miami. I love Miami as well. It's one of my favorite cities. Yeah, it's the best.
1: It's so good. Like, I literally walk down the street and I can get, like, my choice of three vegan burgers. Like, what kind of hell place is that? Anyway, well, we're not here to talk about how much food I eat. We're here to talk about the amazing Daniel Garcia and all of the things he's done in Oli Wrestling in the very short time you've been with us. Most recently, you've been teaming with 2.0. What have you learned from them and how has that helped you adapt to TV wrestling? Because I know they have a ton of experience.
2: Yeah, 2.0 are... Real veterans of the business. They're people who have had experience in Japan, high level indie experience, experience for several TV companies now. And I feel like when I first came into AEW, I had a, a little bit of a different mindset on wrestling, and they're uh, able to help me kind of simplify things for a wider TV audience. They're very good at that. So I've learned a lot from them in that aspect.
0: Since you've arrived, Daniel, you've had some very high profile matches headline the united center of chicago against john moxley talk about wrestling john moxley in that environment and how was it. I'm, I'm sure it was kind of surreal
2: yeah mostly it just kind of hurt that was uh the biggest thing about wrestling john moxley <laughs> uh, it kind of hurt but uh, i remember pulling up to the united center that day i didn't know i was wrestling there until that week and i remember i walked into the united center and i just looked around looking in the backstage area seeing pictures of michael jordan in the Chicago Bulls, and then going out into the arena and just seeing all the 17,000 seats empty. It was a pretty wild experience looking from where I was a month prior to a month later. It was a pretty out-of-body experience, to say the least.
1: We talk about high-profile matches, John Moxley. You've had matches with Darby Allin. You've had matches with CM Punk. Are you dealing with pressure? Are you dealing with excitement? Like, What's going through all your mind having all of this thrown at you so quickly?
2: I feel like I don't really have a lot of time to feel pressure or excitement. <laughs> like uh Everything's kind of going so fast and everything's kind of piling up on me so quick that I don't really even have time to think about, oh man, I'm nervous for this match coming up or I'm super excited for this match coming up. I feel like I'm able to stay very present in that way because there's so much high-profile things being thrown at me in such a quick amount of time, I feel like the best way to deal with it is to just stay in the moment, stay present, and to uh, focus on the task that I have ahead of me.
0: We're talking with Daniel Garcia, Red Death, Daniel Garcia, by the way, as he goes, and uh, you wrestled CM Punk. I thought it was your best match in in AEW. Punk also had some very nice comments say about you afterwards. Talk about... Well, Maybe what you learned during that match and how you felt after it was over, maybe you watched it again uh, on the replay.
2: That was pretty cool. I mean, CM Punk is someone who I've obviously watched for probably 15 years of my life at this point. I've really looked up to that guy for a very long time. He used to be one of my favorite wrestlers. Still probably is. He's my mom's favorite wrestler, too. When he came in, I was kind of thinking like, man, it'd be cool if I got to wrestle CM Punk. That'd kind of be like a dream come true for me. And when me and 2.0 attacked him on his first um, his second appearance back, I think, I was the first ever wrestler to have any sort of physical contact with CM Punk in a ring in seven years. And then we kind of didn't touch upon that for a couple of weeks. And I was like, hmm, maybe I won't get to wrestle him for a little bit. And then they announced on Dynamite, he just like called me out. I was sitting backstage and he called me out and I checked my phone. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm wrestling CM Punk on Rampage this week. And, uh... (laughs) I I wrestled them, and it it was a great learning experience for me. It, It showed me a lot of things about simple, easy storytelling. And not everything has to be hard. Wrestling is very easy if you let it be.
1: I think that's the biggest thing a lot of us who have come from the Indies recently have learned is just, like, the less is more, you don't have to go crazy, like, all of these things. Like, people lose their minds for a superplex, whereas, like, I think you and I are both used to doing 16 Canadian Destroyers in a single match, and that's the thing that gets over So working with someone like Punk really kind of just solidifies that. And I know that same week you were working with Punk, you also had matches with Alex Shelley, Minoru Suzuki, and Davey Richards. Who is doing your bookings, and how are they so good about getting you this awesome talent? I do
2: them all. Like some people have asked me recently, like, do you have an agent or a manager? I was like, no, I just book. I just book everything myself.
1: Can you be my agent? Because like, these are dope. <laughs> sure, <laughs> we'll sure. We'll work out something when the podcast is over.
2: If I'm good at one thing in wrestling, I'm very good at stacking things into one big weekend. I like to look at wrestling as moments. And not, not just like one moment in time. I think of like a big week or a weekend or a time frame as a moment. And I feel like I've had a couple of those this year. Like WrestleMania weekend, I had eight matches in three days. That was a big moment. And then the first time I was on Dynamite, that same week I was able to stack the SCI tournament plus my hour-long match with Wheeler Yuta for the IWTV title. That was another moment.
1: Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah.
2: And then I I feel like the next big moment was that week where I wrestled Punk, Shelly, Minoru, and um, Richards. So I think it's important to kind of stack little moments in time that people... 10 years from now can look back on and be like, oh, remember that weekend that Daniel Garcia had? That was pretty cool. So uh, I'm just trying to give people little things that they can look back on moments in time that they can look fondly on.
0: Your uh, start in AEW was actually on AEW Dark. And how did you get booked on
2: Dark? People just end up reaching out to you. I think you develop a lot of like independent wrestling clout or notoriety and then people end up hitting you up. And I think the Blade, Pepper Parks, one of my trainers, I think he was able to, putting a good word for me a little bit and uh i'm sure that didn't harm the harm the cause at all but i I think that's how it came together they were just looking for kind of high profile indie wrestlers that they could put on their show and give an opportunity to and that plus a recommendation i think went a long way yeah pepper's a good guy man
1: very good guy the best That was your first match back after the pandemic
2: yeah yeah so i had about eight months off from wrestling and my first match back was at aew
1: yeah no pressure we talk all the time about how like there's there's nothing you can really train for wrestling outside of wrestling. Like you can't just like go on the treadmill, you can't just lift a bunch of weights, like it's really really hard. So like what did you do to be prepared to just come back when the opportunity arose? At that point,
2: I couldn't even really get in the ring because the training facility near my house was closed. I lived in New York and COVID restrictions are pretty tight. Right. And I remember we were able to go one day kind of like a closed session. It was me, Kevin Blackwood, in megabyte ronnie we were able to go like one day to train just knock off a little bit of the ring rust just so being in a wrestling ring didn't feel so foreign to us by the time we got in the ring for aew but before that i was just kind of doing a lot of like hip workouts you know uh like high intensity very quick uh body movement i think that's the best way that you can kind of prepare for being in a wrestling ring without actually wrestling is to move really fast for a small period of time and then go slow for another period of time and then fast and then slow I think that's the best way to prepare. Obviously, there's nothing to prepare like being in a wrestling room for, but I was doing hit workouts all summer. I didn't find out I was doing AEW until that week, probably like two days prior. You know how it is. I felt pretty prepared. It was pretty hot wrestling in Jacksonville. I've never wrestled in outside heat, humidity like that before. Right. That was uh, kind of an adjustment, but we got through it.
0: Yeah, you and uh, Kevin Blackwood against Janela and Kiss. Now, you mentioned uh, Blackwood, who's a buddy of yours, and – Being a friend of Blackwood, how does that help with in-ring chemistry between you two?
2: We're two people who are never, like, we're not like a tag team, like a traditional tag team who, like, travels together. But because we are friends and because we're uh, travel partners, we tend to get thrown together a lot for a bunch of different, like, tag teams and stuff like that when shows need a random tag team. And I feel like it just comes really naturally with me and him. I think we have a similar outlook on professional wrestling. I think that really helps us be able to move as a unit and have good chemistry in ring.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were a hockey player and had dreams of being in the NHL prior to wrestling taking off. Uh, When did you start playing hockey?
2: I actually started playing hockey late. I started playing hockey when I was like 11 years old, and that's pretty late to be playing hockey. But just like anything else, I think if you get enough reps, I think you can make up for lost time. And it got to a point where I was playing for like three different hockey teams at one time when I was a freshman in high school because I would play 16-U select and then I got called up to like the 18-U team to help them out. And I would play for my varsity high school team. And I was also playing for the other 16-U select team. So yeah, like four hockey teams at the same time. Hmm. I was skating every single day, playing multiple games a week. It was pretty rough on the body, but um, it was really good to help me improve very quickly in hockey.
0: So when did your dreams of uh, being in the NHL and making it a career change? When did that all change for you?
2: So I've always been like a dreamer. I think if I put my mind to anything, I can really make it happen. Usually when you're a hockey player or any other professional sport, I think you can usually tell by the time you're probably like a preteen, okay, I can take it pretty far with this. I think it was clear to most people by I was that age, that I was probably never going to make it to the NHL, but I always had the hopes and aspirations and dreams. Like when I was still in high school, I still thought there was a chance, you know, like maybe if I get seen by the right people or if I improve this part of my game a little bit, maybe I'll be able to take it further. Looking back in hindsight, that was maybe a little bit foolish of me to, to uh, have those beliefs. But I think that belief in myself and that self-confidence helps me a lot in life.
0: We are talking with Daniel Garcia. And you got AEW Unrestricted. Coming up, we're going to talk about his training. Stay with us. AEW Unrestricted, Tony and Aubrey, and Daniel Garcia has joined us. One of the great young stars. And we're so happy to be uh, watching and following his career and being able to call these matches. And it's good to have him with us on AEW Unrestricted. Uh, You mentioned uh, Pepper Parks. Now, you're from Buffalo. Obviously, we talked about the, the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, when did you start getting trained by the Blade? When did that all start for you?
2: So there is a school that's five minutes from my house called Grappler's Anonymous. It's in Buffalo, New York. I started going to independent wrestling shows in my local area when I was a teenager. And there was a guy there named Mikey Every Night, who I was a big fan of. And I'm a little bit taller, and I think he was kind of like recruiting wrestlers. So I was taking a picture with him after a show with my mom. And he asked me like, hey, did you ever think about being a wrestler? And I was like, uh, like not really, but it's like something I would maybe like to get into. And I was 17 at the time. I remember I called Mikey a couple of days later with my mom. I, I was like, hey, like, uh, like I'm the guy you met at the show. I'm thinking about maybe coming, checking out the gym. And it turns out like me and Mikey went to the same high school. He only lived like two streets down from my house. And the gym was five minutes away from my house. So maybe like a week later, me and my mom wanted to go check it out. And he didn't realize I was 17, so I couldn't start training. He told me, no, it's like uh, it could be a danger for the gym if I start training too early. Like he doesn't want any lawsuits of a minor getting hurt or whatever. I understood.
1: Liability, all that, blah, blah, blah. Liability.
2: But maybe like a year and a half later, when I turned 18, I was kind of not super into wrestling at that point. I was finishing out my hockey career. Yeah, it was just wrestling wasn't something that was very much prominent on my mind. But I was going for a jog around my house in South Buffalo. And I saw Mikey and I decided to just say like, hey, man, like, what's up? How you doing? And he goes, oh, like, do you still want to be a wrestler? And he kind of put me on the spot. And I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, sure. He ended, I ended up calling him on the phone a couple of days later. And I checked out the wrestling gym and training started. Maybe when I was about 18 and a half years old, I started training. And I was trained by a guy named Mikey Every Night and Brandon Thurston. They're two local wrestlers. Brandon Thurston is somebody who, um, he's wrestled for Beyond Wrestling. Yeah, He's done some high-profile indies. Maybe about a year or maybe even less than a year into my training, Pepper started coming. He did a seminar at the school, and then he saw potential in a lot of the students. And then he started doing weekly training sessions with all of us, kind of like advanced classes. And uh, he was really able to put like a fine polish on a lot of our work.
1: You joined a wrestling school at 18, independent shows, 16, 17. Did you watch wrestling as a kid?
2: Oh, yeah. I I watched wrestling since birth. My mom and dad were like big wrestling fans. My family loves wrestling, so I was watching it since I could remember. There was never a point where I like started watching wrestling. It was just always on in my house. We
0: mentioned uh, the Blade. Talk about when you met him and what you've learned from him.
2: Yeah, I've learned so much from uh, Pepper. He's... Somebody who, I didn't really have like a father figure growing up. My father wasn't really around. He passed away when I was young. So Pepper was like one of the first like father figures I feel like I had in my life. He's somebody who, he's 20 something years older than me, but he's somebody I could always go to for advice in and out of wrestling, like life advice, but also just advice in the ring. He's somebody who is uh, very comforting and somebody who is very helpful and somebody who is always willing to go the extra mile to make sure that somebody is comfortable and to make sure that somebody is just on the right path.
1: The first time I saw Pepper backstage and you were headed to the ring, he's like, oh, Daniel's match is going. And he like books it over with his little tray of pre-made meal. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know that he was involved in your training, but I know that he is really supportive of a bunch of the indie wrestlers coming out of the Buffalo scene. And I was just like, "Oh, this is really cool!" Like everybody from Buffalo supporting everybody, and then learning more and more. I'm like, "Man, this is dope! This is awesome! Like, it's pretty great to have someone who's so pivotal to your training now be a coworker."
2: Like I said, he's someone who was like a role model. I grew up watching Pepper too. He was on all those indie shows that I would go to growing up. I remember, like, I have pictures with him as a fan from me just being a fan of his, and then him being kind of like a role model figure. And like a positive now figure in my life was, it's a cool transition. And sometimes like I'll just be having like a normal conversation with them, I will think I'll be like, man, this is Pepper parks So that's pretty cool.
1: You're the Red Death, Daniel Garcia. Where does Red Death come from?
2: Andy Williams actually came up with it.
1: Ah, the butcher.
2: Yes, the butcher. I started wearing this like red gear. I don't know. I think I was just missing like a little bit of stees to my character. And one day he was, he was like, you know what, you know what you need? You need a nickname. These Japanese wrestlers, they have, always have random nicknames, like two random words put together, like Ishis, like the stone pit Bull. What does that nickname mean? Nobody knows. It doesn't make sense, but it's cool. It gets over. And like the American dragon, just random things thrown together. Right. It was kind of ironic because at the time I was even skinnier than I am now. I had like a little bit of like moppy hair. I was super pale. And I was like, man, it would be kind of cool if. The audience heard the name Red Death, and then all of a sudden, I come out, and I'm like wrestle like super intensely. Like I'm trying to wrestle like a '90s All Japan wrestler, but I look like a 12 year old. I was like, that would kind of be a little cool, um, like bait and switch for the audience. Yeah, I, I used it a couple times, and it ended up getting over. It. It's really easy for the crowd to chant. I think it's a really easy nickname to market. I hated the nickname for a lot when I was injured. I wanted to get rid of it. And, uh, just come back as just Daniel Garcia, but I don't want this to sound braggadocious, but it was too over to get rid of, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I feel like too many people knew me as red death, even more so than Daniel Garcia. So I was like, man, if I get rid of this, this is going to be a little bit of a handicap to my career. So I might as well just keep it. Even if I don't like it that much, the crowd likes it. And that's what really matters, I guess.
0: Absolutely. We're talking with Daniel Garcia. You, you mentioned that you had an aptitude for sports uh, very early. When you started training in wrestling, did you feel that, I'm going to catch on to this quickly and I'm going to be able to uh, move through my career quickly because I just kind of get sports?
2: Yeah, I, like, I've, I've never been like the most athletic person, but I've always had an insane amount of discipline, like a very hard work ethic, and I think I get that from my mom. So I knew if I went to training, Every day that I could go to training, and if I was the first to show up and the last to leave, no matter what my natural ability was, I knew that I could progress very quickly just based on discipline alone. But because I was able to have that kind of work ethic, and I could add on natural, I don't want to say like like God-given talent, I guess, Mm -hmm. on top of that, I think it was the perfect storm and the perfect combination for me to be able to succeed pretty quickly on in my wrestling career.
1: You had mentioned it in the earlier segment, you recently had a match with Wheeler Yuta for the IWTV championship. And it was a 60 minute time limit draw, which is insane. Cause one, you don't see that often on the indies. And two, like that's a testament to cardio and storytelling and all of the things that kind of come with wrestling. What kind of strategy do you have going into a match like that?
2: That was rough. I'm not going to lie. That was rough.
1: And then you guys were both at TV that week and it was like, oh my God.
2: (laughs) Yeah. When the guy from IWTV hit me up and was like, Hey, I think we want you guys to do a 60 minute time limit draw. I was like, Oh, like, yeah, we can make that happen. I think it would have been easier if it was like, say, like a best two out of three falls or an Ironman match because you have built in breaks with falls. Right. But a 60 minute time limit draw. Like no no pinfalls actually because it's a draw, but where you have no breaks to pin people and to reset, there's no built-in resets. It's extremely testing and it's extremely hard to have that kind of cardio. But it's also pretty hard to keep the audience engaged for that amount of time. And when I knew I was doing the 60 minute match, I didn't want people to, because I knew the crowd was going to react because we were going so long, but I didn't want it to be a oh, these guys are wrestling for a long time, so I guess we have to cheer for them. I wanted it to be a genuine, natural reaction to what we were doing in the match. I didn't want it to be a, a sympathy clap because we're doing something that's so hard on our bodies, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think we were able to accomplish that. By the end, people were on their feet and people were um, going very hard in the audience for us. I think it was a very emotional moment for a lot of the audience fans. It seemed like it. Like That's what I want to do with wrestling. I think emotional wrestling is the best kind of wrestling. And to be able to draw that kind of feeling from an audience who just sat through two shows prior and they're in a hundred degree building and you can still get them on their feet, cheering as loud as they can. I think that was really a testament to the storytelling that me and Wheeler Udo were able to do that night.
0: Was that your first 60-minute uh, uh, match?
2: Yes, and hopefully my last as well.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you got, you got to pace yourself during those. I was wondering, you and Wheeler get together and talk about your match. You had to come up with something different for both of you in this. I mean, you learned so many things training. You learn so many things going through the independence. But then again, now you're 30 minutes into the match, and you're thinking, hmm, maybe I've done that before in this match. Maybe I need to do something else. So how do you pace yourself on that?
2: Yeah, especially somebody like me, it's like I don't have a lot of cool moves, you know. Most of my stuff is I just grab stuff really hard and then make like a weird face, and you can only do that. For, <laughs> you can only do that for so long, and uh, it got to a point in the match where like I did like a spinning tombstone, and it's like I never did a, did a spinning tombstone in my life before that, but I just had to break out like something, something that the audience has never seen in me before because I, I just had to do something creative, and I mean, Yuta's fantastic. He has a very similar style as me, a very technical style. So we were able to kind of eat up a lot of the time, just grappling and doing things that felt very natural to us in the moment when it comes to tactical wrestling.
0: Get a lot of feedback from the guys and the and the girls in the dressing room on on that
2: match. Yeah, because I came back and I like hated it. I remember uh, Yuta loves telling the story. I had like an existential crisis in the middle of the match. We doubled down off something, and I remember I was laying there right next to Yuta. And I go, Yuta. Does this match suck? Is this terrible? <laughs> like, do you think the crowd likes this? I remember it, it was like a crisis I had in the match. When I came to the back, I just felt like mad. I was like, "Oh, that match sucked." But then, like, the dressing room was outside, like right in the parking lot where all the fans were coming. Some of the fans came back and like they were telling us good job and stuff. And once they told me that, and I was able to see the reactions from people on social media, I felt a little bit better about it. And the people in the locker room always help too. You can never tell if people are giving you their honest feedback or if they're actually just trying to uh, tell you did a good job just because they don't want to cause conflict. But people seem genuine. I was able to feel a little bit better about the match after.
1: I always find it entertaining when there's a wrestler who's like really good, puts on a great match, and they come to the back and it's like, man, that sucked. (laughs) There's so many times it even happens at, I'm not going to name names, but it happens at AEW, and I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? That was great. Yeah. Nah, this sucked, and this sucked, and this could have gone better, and blah, 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 the commercial, and blah, 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 blah like, man, you guys are silly. <laughs> Perfectionists.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're hard on yourself, and, and I get that, and and I think that that happens a lot. I think you're right, Aubrey, in AEW. I mean, guys will and girls will come back and say, oh, man, that match was terrible, and I go, not from where I was sitting. It was a damn good match, so it's pretty good being hard on yourself, but You know, give yourself a break sometime, Daniel.
2: I think that's important. I think it's good to be hard on yourself and to be your own worst critic, I guess. But it's also very important to accept your flowers and to take your roses in while you can and to just kind of be present and enjoy what you're doing and not being so strict on the small details that nobody else probably notices when they watch your wrestling match.
1: We're having a great conversation with Daniel Garcia, recent signee to All Elite Wrestling. Tony and Aubrey here, AEW Unrestricted. Coming up, we got lots and lots of fan questions. AEW Unrestricted, Tony and Aubrey here with Daniel Garcia, and we are at fan questions. Plenty, plenty here today. This first one is one that I'm actually very, very interested in because I'm a big technical wrestling fan. Cowboy Shit on Twitter asks, how at age 23 are you one of the best technical wrestlers of all time? Is it extensive film work, hours and hours of practicing? Does it just come naturally? All of the above.
2: I would say that's a little bit of a stretch, one of the best technical wrestlers of all time. (laughs) But uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. I think most of it is just reps. There was a period of time where I would be at the wrestling gym and I got a lot of one on one training just because nobody else was showing up. So it'd be me, Brandon Thurston and Mikey every night who... um, are very good technical wrestlers. They're incredible. And I would just spend hours upon hours grappling with them in an empty room, four cold walls in Buffalo, New York. And I would just learn so much. I would learn so much about how the body moves and how the body, like if you move one body part this way, this other part will come free. Then you can grab that. I would just learn so many little intricacies, stuff like that. And I think that's the most important part of getting good at anything, just getting in a lot of reps and practice, practice, practice.
0: From Twitter, Starlight Shinobi, that's Starlight Shinobi, wants to know, what is your favorite submission hold to use? And which submission hold is the most painful that has been used on you?
2: The sharpshooter is obviously my favorite. It always wins me my matches. That's one of my favorite. I like to do like a sleeper hold. I think it's, the reason why I like to do a sleeper hold is because everyone can understand it. You don't have to be a wrestling fan or an MMA fan to know that being choked hurts. And that being choked is a very painful experience. Everyone's been, had their breath constricted at one point in their life by like someone on the playground or their older brother or sister choking them. Everyone's been through having your air being constricted for a period of time. And that's why I like using the choke. It's just so easily digestible for such a big audience. Most painful submission I've ever been in was... Moxley put me in that bulldog choke is up there. That hurt really bad. Mm-hmm. I thought my head was about to pop off. Maybe that or when I wrestled Walter, he put me in a Boston Crab and put his full body weight on my lower back. Mm-hmm. And I thought my back was going to break. And I think those are probably the two most painful submissions i have ever been in my life.
1: King of the North asks, I need a whole segment on Joshi wrestling. Well, sorry, King of the North, you're not getting that. More more or less, when is Daniel starting Choco Pro USA with Emmy Sakura?
2: Ooh, I just saw Evil Uno had the first Choco Pro USA show and I was pretty jealous. I know. I feel like I'm the person who kind of brought forth that idea a little bit when I started talking to Lulu and Emmy on Twitter, and all of a sudden I opened Twitter like two days ago and see Evil Uno being in the first Choco Pro USA match. I felt pretty disrespected. So I think I'm going to come for my revenge on Emmy Sakura and Lulu Pencil next time I see them backstage. <laughs> I think that's when you're going to see me debut.
1: Starting a feud on AEW Unrestricted.
2: Yeah. I love it. I'm coming for you, Lulu Pencil. Well oh. <laughs> I know you gave me that mug and that Choco Pro t-shirt, but that's not going to fix it. You put Yves Uno as the debut, that should have been me. I'm coming for you.
0: I love it. Jin Kenshin oh, wants to know, what's your favorite Josie match of all time
2: and why? It's always so hard for me to put my favorite match of all time, just because recency bias is such a thing. Yeah, I don't, there's so many classics. Like there's a bunch of old classic matches. Recently, my favorite match has been Utami versus uh, Shuri at the, one of the recent Stardom shows. I can't remember. It was during the Grand Prix, uh, the Princess Grand Prix. That was one of my favorite ones. Mako Satomura against uh, Mayu Yamashita is one that I always go back to from, I think, like, 2015. That's one of my favorite Joshi matches. I hate being asked for my favorite matches, just (laughs) because you you can like so many for so many different reasons. It's hard to put a label on, like, this is my favorite. Right. But I guess if I had to pick one, it would probably be Mayur Yamashita versus Meikunsen more.
1: I like the recency bias thing you mentioned, because then there's always a, like, which one is the favorite that you've watched, which one is the favorite you've participated in, and it's like, which one... Perfect. Makes a lot of sense.
2: Exactly. And then you can like some for like nostalgic reasons. Like I could go back and find like a Toyota match for nostalgic reason, because those are like the classic Joshi wrestling matches. Wrestling just gets better over time, obviously. So I think that newer matches are better than older matches subjectively without nostalgia. I, it's a whole conversation I can get into, but I'll, ju- I'll just say Michael and Mayu. How did you get in- introduced into Joshi wrestling? Joshi Wrestling, I was introduced to by uh, Io Shirai. Mm-hmm. She is, I think, one of the best wrestlers in the world, still. i watch watched her matches and start them. I'd be like, man, this is stuff that I've never seen before. This is stuff that is super innovative and groundbreaking in professional wrestling. It's stuff that you have never seen before in a wrestling ring. And these are women who can out-wrestle anybody on the planet. And they're all in one company. Yeah, I think that was the coolest thing ever, just seeing these like... These small girls wearing colorful, like I guess like girly gear, like flamboyant gear, just beat the hell out of each other for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, this is my favorite wrestling ever. Mm -hmm. It's like a wormhole because you'll be introduced to a match and then you watch it for one person and then you'll become a fan of the person they wrestled. And then you just want to keep going. Deeper and deeper and deeper into the Joshi Wrestling wormhole, and then all of a sudden, you have seven different Joshi Wrestling subscriptions being charged to your credit card every month. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, I'm super into stardom and Tokyo Joshi Pro and Ice Ribbon. I love watching all that stuff, I think it's the best
1: wrestling in the world. Beast Wrestler 21 asks, Out of your crazy wrestling schedule recently, do you have a favorite match or moment?
2: Moment, I would say, is getting the respect fist bump from Suzuki-san. I think that was maybe like a top 10 moment of my life. That was a pretty cool moment that I think I'm going to remember forever.
0: Kevin Merrill wants to know, after knocking off a few dream matches, we've talked about those, name your next dream opponents. I
2: think the next obvious one
0: is Brian.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was like, if you don't say that, like. (laughs) It's
2: the match that I get tagged in probably about seven tweets a day asking for he is my favorite wrestler of all time, if I'm being candid. Same. I think that's like the natural dream match that I probably should have coming up within the next couple months, if I had to guess.
1: Uh, we have a question from The Midnight Blade. Not Pepper Park's Blade, but this is a different blade. Who are your influences in wrestling, be it style-wise, character-wise, promo-wise, etc.?
2: Style-wise is hard. I think I probably wrestle most like an old-school throwback, like a Tully or an Arn. I feel like stylistically wise, those are probably the people who I wrestle the most like. Character wise, I go to a bunch of different inspirations. Like this one might be surprising to a bunch of people, but Mark Henry is like a super big influence on my wrestling. He's somebody who, when he came out, he had instant believability. He was somebody that no matter who you were in the audience, nobody would ever mess with him. Nobody would ever think about crossing Mark Henry. (laughs) And I feel like that's something that I kind of try to take with me, even though I'm not literally the strongest man in the world, even though I'm not that, I think I like to carry this, or at least attempt to carry this aura about me that nobody in the audience would ever want to mess with. And that's a big inspiration that I've been able to take with me.
0: And then you find out that Mark Henry is just a big old teddy bear, and then you go, wow. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the great guys, isn't he?
2: He's the coolest.
0: Scott Miller wants to know, how did your run over the last year in Limitless help build and define you as a wrestler?
2: Run over Limitless was super interesting to me because I had to learn how to be a top guy at the company. And it was during the pandemic, too, so we didn't have a live audience. So I had to learn how to play the cameras more and how to make things digestible to people who aren't actually in the building, make things digestible to people who are watching at home. I feel like those are the biggest takeaways. It wasn't like working TV, obviously, but it taught me a lot about working cameras and taught me a lot about just making things very easy for the audience at home to digest. It just taught me about how to put on a main event match and how to close a show when people before you on the card were doing crazy things and having these crazy, long extensive exciting matches i had to learn how to keep a crowd interested during like a 20 minute main event when they just sat through hours of great wrestling beforehand
1: those indie shows and they really like their 20 plus minute matches they love them they love them quite a bit king of cups what is your earliest memory of going to wrestling shows strictly as a fan and what was the event and how was the overall experience
2: it was Empire State Wrestling, and it was an indie show in North Tonawanda, New York. My uncle was friends with one of the wrestlers, so he was able to get us in. And I have pictures of me at the show with um, a bunch of the indie wrestlers. I don't know how long after that, but I remember going to a WWE show with my family. I remember we made our own T-shirts, uh, like the Iron On T-shirts. We made our own, like we made signs and stuff. I think my first memory of that show, for some reason, I remember seeing Tajiri. Wow. That's my first like live show memory that I remember.
0: Mitchell Duncan wants to know, any good road stories from wrestling in Canada?
2: Oh, wrestling in Canada is the funnest, man. I, I miss Canada so much. It's uh, the coolest. The only thing that stinks about Canada is you get out from a show, say, at like 11 midnight. There's nothing open. There's nothing to eat. So when you drive home, you have to stop at... En route and on route, they just get some style Timbits and some hot chocolate from a Tim Hortons. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, no crazy stories that I could tell. You know, it's usually just the fun little memories of like singing in the car with all my friends or little intricate things that would not be exciting for a podcast to listen to.
1: It's hard to explain to people that like sitting in a car for three plus hours with your friends... Is some of the best parts of indie wrestling. It's like the relationships you build.
2: Exactly. Like, I wish I could come on and tell the story of some crazy, interesting, <laughs> like story, but I don't really have any. Most of the things I remember are just little uh, sweet moments between me and my friends.
0: Yeah. Indie's like uh, what the territory days used to be like
2: years ago. Very much. Very similar.
0: Uh, go from town to town, hop into a car with your friends, and drive to the next place.
1: Next question from Corgi Durst. If you're going to have a Red Death music festival, who are five performers we'd expect to see and who of them would headline?
2: I'm a big like rap and R&B fan. I, I like mostly modern day music because I'm young. That's fun to listen to.
1: He's one of the cool kids.
2: Yeah, I'm one of the cool kids. <laughs> right now, like based on what I'm currently listening to, so Drake would be the headliner for sure. No question. Drake has to be there. Then maybe Roddy Rich. He's a West Coast rapper. I'd have Roddy Ricch there. This R&B singer named Blast would be there. I love his music. His music you can listen to while you're doing anything. Uh, West Side Gun, he's a rapper from Buffalo. I'll throw him on the show. And NBA Youngboy, I'll throw him on there for the kids.
1: For the kids.
2: (laughs) For the kids, yeah.
0: Okay. Sean Marisnek. Uh, Sean, if I mispronounce your name, I'm sorry. What's something about Buffalo, New York that you think people should know? Bonus points, favorite pizza place in Buffalo?
2: Favorite pizza place is Bella Pizza, Lackawanna, New York. Yeah, when you come to Buffalo, you're going to experience so many different things in such a small amount of time. You're going to be in a safe neighborhood in one moment. Two minutes later, you're going to be in the worst neighborhood that you can imagine. So if you come to Buffalo, prepare for that. You know, Buffalo is a city with a lot of character to it. It's like a pretty working class city. Right. It's improving over the past couple of years. We have like a lot of money coming in and it's kind of turning into like a bit of a gentrified city, which is good in some ways, but in some ways it's very bad. But you can come here, you can expect a lot of good food, expect a lot of good people. And you can also expect somewhat of an element of danger if you come to Buffalo, New York.
0: I've spent a lot of time in Buffalo, really have. So I'm with you. A lot of good food
1: there. I have never been.
0: You never went to Buffalo, hmm.
1: which is funny because I'm in New York like at least twice a year, but it's never Buffalo. It's always like the area.
0: You never know where AW is going
2: to end up. You never know. Be safe if you come to Buffalo, guys. Be safe. Be prepared.
1: I'll just call up my buddies Daniel Garcia and Pepper Parks and be like, "Hey, uh, I am not leaving your side because I heard this place wasn't safe."
2: <laughs> you're good. You're good with me if you're in Buffalo.
1: There we go. Awesome. Well, thank you, Daniel. This has been absolutely wonderful. It's been great getting to know you a little bit about your background and all of the crazy, crazy shit you've done recently. It's just the start of what will be, I know, an incredible career.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I hope I'm able to do this for a very long time.
0: You can follow Daniel Garcia on Twitter and Instagram at Garcia Wrestling. And don't forget to follow this podcast, AW Unrestricted, free wherever you get your podcast. free F-R-E-E. And our video episodes are on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search AEW Unrestricted. And how about all of our TV shows? Aubrey Edwards.
1: We got Elevation on Mondays and Dark on Tuesdays on YouTube at 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 Central. And then we've got Dynamite, currently still on TNT until January 5th, which we will swap to TBS. And then Rampage, which Daniel Garcia has made evented many times on Fridays, TNT. We're on like almost every night of the week now, so you can see Daniel Garcia wrestle quite a bit. You can hear Tony a lot. And you can hear me yell at people when they just disregard everything that I'm saying. Anyway, I'm Aubrey Edwards. This is Tony Schiavone. This is AEW Unrestricted. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up, up, bring the house
1: down. Got the big space and make them bounce now. Blows it like they
0: bossing and the freaks are coming out now.